Amen. You know, last night um, I had a dream, and I I've noticed it, it's I don't know about you guys. I very rarely remember my dreams, and I've been praying. So earnestly over the last few months for God to allow me to remember my dreams so it opens up an avenue, another avenue where he could speak to me. And, and he has over time, he has given me clear recollection of dreams. And, and those I've, I've always noticed those were ones that he was speaking to me soundly. Um, there have been times when I'll wake up in the morning and I'll have a feeling from that was a reaction of the dreams that I had, and not knowing if those dreams are from the Lord or, or from my mind just being busy during the day or, or even something that, you know, the enemy puts on you. But, but last night was one of those dreams that was very clear. And it was interesting. I, I didn't know if the Lord wanted me to share it because there are parts he told me no. And so I thought, well, maybe that was to not share everything. But during worship this morning, he told me, no, I want you to share it. I'll just tell you the pieces not to share. Because I, I had two dreams and a vision, basically. The vision I can't share, because um, it had more to do with timing. But, but the first one, I don't remember the surroundings. The first dream was very simple, but it was a feeling. And, it, and this one is so hard to express because I've never actually felt this before. And, you know, I had to ask him, what, what in the world is this? It, 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 it felt like heaven. That's what it felt like. I couldn't see anything. It wasn't a matter of me seeing something, and that's why I was feeling it. It, it was instead a presence that was all-encompassing me and, and just overwhelming me. And what the Lord said is that this is what it will feel like when I fall. And because I thought, well, is, is this what it feels like for the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And, and it wasn't that. He said, this is what it feels like when I fall. And, and I thought, oh, I didn't even want to wake up from that one. And it was just, I, I can't even describe, it was just so amazing how that felt. But then I woke up and... Oh, that was so cool. And oh, oh, I remembered it. And oh, awesome, Lord. And thank you. And, you know, anything else? Can I go back to the dream? No. I went back to a different dream. And this dream was very interesting to me. Because, again, when I dream in detail and I remember the detail very vividly, like I'll remember surroundings, I'll remember the steps that I take, I'll remember the people, well, people that he shows me that are there, the significant people in the dream. And, and so when that happens, experience for me has always been it's of him. Now today, he also coupled that with telling me what he, he gave me, the interpretation of the dream at the same time, which he's not always done that. And this, this was really cool. But I started in this dream in a house. Okay. Um, and it was, it wasn't, a newer style house. It was like an older house. Uh, and when I say older, I don't mean like antique older, um, which is something I love, but, but like dated older. Does that make sense? It's kind of like, 
you know, your house is still in the 80s, it's time to update, you know, that sort of thing. That was the kind of house I was in, but it was a unique house. Because as I'm walking through this house, the house was one story, single story, but it was like really long. It was like you just keep walking through this house, here's another room, oh, another room, oh, and you just keep going. Nothing connected to itself. You know, like here, you got connected rooms, and you, you kind of can go in a circle. You know, you can lap in here, right? Well, in this house, it wasn't that. And, and when I left a section of the house, it was gone. It was no longer there, okay? And, and then as I'm moving through this house, this house, now, I, I can't tell you who it was owned by because it was owned by a specific person that I know. Uh, this house was, because this person was kind of showing me through this house, and, and, and as uh, they were there for part of it, but then I came into a section of the house that was, I don't know if it was the backyard, because it was this massive pool, okay? But, but I remember there being a roof over it. So it was like in the house, but it was a pool, but a massive pool. And, and filled up to this point, there hadn't been other people in the dream, except, you know, the, the person I was walking through with. Um, and then... When I got to this pool, masses of people just playing, and they were all young people, just playing in the pool, and I didn't recognize them necessarily. Um, perhaps in my dream I did. I, that part I don't recollect, except there was one person that I did rec- recognize. Again, I, I can't say the person's name, you know, just, just like the old FBI stories, if we give you the name, you know, we, we keep the name silent to protect them. Okay. But I saw this one person... And the Lord said to me, he will be next. And I asked, what do you mean he'll be next? And he said, he will be the next one to be with you. Okay, cool. That's really cool. That's somebody I've been praying for for a long time. Okay, so we're moving through this. this, uh, I'm kind of walking around. They're just having a blast in in the pool and and playing around. And and I wanted to jump in, but I knew I couldn't. I I was there to observe, okay? And I'm walking past this. Then we finally walk outside, and we walk up to, it was like a river, okay? But it was a good-sized river. It's like something that you would see in Asia, uh, where, where you see all these little long, those really long boats with the engine that sticks out the back and the long pole. It, you know what I'm talking about? They're called long boats. But this one, this boat that we were getting into was ridiculously long, and it was all old wood, like like ancient wood, right? And and I'm looking at this thing, and, and of course me, I'm I'm not afraid to get in it. I'm just thinking this is the coolest boat in the world. So I'm getting in this boat, and... There's a driver to this boat. Didn't know who the driver was because he was on the other side of the boat. I got in. I was clear up in the front of the boat, and then he's way back there. Okay? He's driving the boat. And so we start going down this river, and this was, like I said, this was an unusual boat. Okay? We're going down this river, a big river, but then we come to a landing spot, okay, which I knew... This is where we have to land. This is our destination, right? And, and, but I said this was a unique boat, right? Okay, this boat could get enough power to make it up this ramp. Okay, now, now you think of a boat, and, and by the way, you know, 
it, it had that engine with the long pole so he could get it and, and it could ride in very shallow water. Okay, well, he can also pull it up so when it goes on land, it's not going to do anything. So he starts speeding up. And I'm just watching. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just, this is the coolest thing in the world. I'm just kind of hanging off the front. It reminded me of when I was a kid. My dad took me deep sea fishing. And the funnest part of the whole trip, because these waves were ridiculous out there, was me and my buddy hanging off the literal front end of the boat. I think we got in trouble for doing it, as a matter of fact. We have our heads hanging off the front because it was like a roller coaster. We were like this and like this and like this. I think we might have thrown up. I can't remember. But that's what it reminded me of. I'm, I'm hanging off the front of this boat. There weren't the waves, but, but we're just flying, and we're coming up to this landing. And he, he just started to speed up, and he said, he said, I gotta speed up to get you to the top. Okay, go for it. So he speeds up, and we hit this ramp, and all of a sudden, it wasn't just a boat landing ramp. All of a sudden, it's this mountain. All of a sudden, there's these tracks. It's almost like railroad tracks that go up this mountain, and, and now we're no longer on water. Now we're flying up this mountain, and just, praying that there's enough momentum to get us to the top. And then I'm thinking as we're getting to the top, okay, when we get there, how in the world are we going to stay there? Are we just going to fly back down? And, and so, so we're going up this mountain, we're, we're flying up this mountain, and then we get to the end of the tracks. Now remember, this is a long boat, right? Okay, we get to the end of the tracks and we don't stop. Okay, now I'm in midair. I'm hanging off the front of this boat, and I'm going up. I'm in midair, uh, almost like the feeling of going over, getting on top of a roller coaster where you look out the side and there's nothing. You're just you're up in midair, you know, 200, 300 feet off the ground. That's what it felt like. And then we stopped. And we didn't move. And I woke up. And he told me what that meant. And what it was, was it was, it was literally the, what he's taken me through in life. He's taken me through this, this older home, this place where I feel comfort, this place where I live, this place where my heart is. Okay? And I, and I, I think he wants me to tell you this because this doesn't just apply to me. This applies to ignition. Okay? But he took me through the different phases of this home. And the last phase I thought was so interesting because it was all young people, you know, all high school, college age, and they were having fun, and, and it, was, it was just this freedom. I can't explain it a better way, but this freedom, that was that last phase before I got on the river. And then he said, those were the phases of me teaching you in your life to prepare you for this journey. That was on the river. And so we get on the river, and, I, I, and, and he told me the river was, was what the training was. The training of what we were going to need when we hit that mountain. And see, when we hit that mountain, it became future. That's where the dream went from past to future. When we, when we hit that mountain, and we were going up, now, again, the timing part I can't tell you. So it's, it doesn't equate timing-wise with the rest of the dream. So don't, 
don't think if I've been on this journey for 20 years that we've hit this mountain, we got 20 more years. You know, that's not what I'm saying. We hit this mountain, we start moving up, and it becomes future. And what he said was, I have put the momentum in your ministry, the momentum in your faith, to take you to a place where the tracks end. Take you to a place where there are no more tracks from what people had gone before. That's what he's doing with ignition. Do you understand that? And I want to say this this morning because the enemy, he fights against us believing the very thing that God wants us to just believe. Well, what, and, and so in so many ways. One, uh, okay, I don't deserve it. Well, it's got nothing to do with deserve. David didn't deserve anything. He was a murderer and he was an, adul- an adulterer. But yet he was a heart and man after God. So deserve doesn't have anything to do with it. It's simply because he has chosen us. And I'm not saying that's an exclusive thing where we're the only ones that he's chosen and we're the only ones to go to the top of that mountain. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that that's what he has chosen us for. He has chosen us to literally build a path, to plow a path that has not been plowed before. How else, and we're going to go through this a little bit today, how else can he take us to Revelation 3.9? That's never happened before. Didn't even happen when he was here on earth. It's because he's got to plow new ground. That's what he's doing in us. Don't let circumstances make you feel any different against God's calling. I want to give you an example of that. When, when we were pray, worshiping here, the Lord laid this on I don't know if anybody, anybody saw me start to laugh at one point. And he was telling me at that point what I'm about to tell you, and I just started laughing. Because, yes, yeah, Lord, you're right. Because, see, I, I'm, my feelings... Okay, the facts of my feelings are telling me different than the truth of what he says. He says, I'm going to take you to heights that have never been seen before. To a place of working in my spirit that has not been seen before on this earth. Okay, that's the truth. The facts or the reality of what I'm living in right now, I look out in the first song and And, you know, I said it before, we just weren't engaged. Okay? Which happens. But not when you know the truth. See, when you know the truth and you're focused on the truth, that's what affects you. And and so so I said to him, Lord, you know, maybe we're further from this thing than than you've told me, or, or, you know, I don't understand. And he, and, and he reminded me, yeah, but just remember Acts. Remember Pentecost. He said, there were 120 people at Pentecost that were waiting for him that didn't know what was about to happen. The Lord was about to take them to new places that have never been seen before. Same thing he's promised us. 120 people. The Lord fell at Pentecost, and what happened on that very day? 
They added 3,000 people in one hour. 3,000 people that very day that the Holy Spirit fell, they added to the church. Now, I don't know about you, but 3,000 is a lot of people. They didn't have a PA system. <laughs> they didn't have what we have. We think of, like, you know, a 3,000-person church. That's Yeah, that's good size, but, you know, it's nothing like a, some of the big ones that we have. But when you add them in one day, that's extraordinary. What's even more extraordinary than that? One week later, so within, within seven to ten days of the Lord falling, they added another 5,000. They had 8,000 people within a week. That's what he reminded me. That's why I started laughing. Because I, I started thinking, <laughs> I mean, that's awesome. Thank you for the building, but I don't think the building will fit them. You know, he's got this. Do you understand that? He's got this. He's got your life. He's got your portion in this. If we had 8,000 people here right now, do you think you would have a reason to be in leadership? Those of you who have been here for a while, those of you who have known what we're about for a while, I know Hannah's just been here, what, a month, two months? Two months, but she's been with us for over a year. The people that are here have been with us a long time. They know what's going on here. I'm looking around. I, I don't see anybody here that doesn't know what's going on or at least hasn't been told. So would you find yourself, if we had this sudden growth, this sudden, like, like what Lana says, the suddenlies that are about to happen, if what happened in the Church of Acts happens right here, where would you find yourself in that mix? I would venture to say that the Lord would find you with, in some sort of leadership, because you have been privy to, you have been trained in something that that was the fruition of. Does that make sense? So why don't we believe that? Why don't we believe that? It's like what Alex said. We believe the facts instead of believing the truth. You know, I want to tell you, Jesus answers prayer. Now, I know there probably watching this online right now, but I, I want to say it anyways. I hope I don't embarrass or anything or say anything wrong. But we've been praying for my nephew, Michael. We've been praying. He, he feels called. He wants to be at Ignition. It, it, should I not say this? Yes, no, maybe. Uh, okay, I'm going to. <laughs> no specific reaction, so I'll go with it. <laughs> we have been praying that he... That, that the Lord work in their lives and he feels called to be at ignition and desperately wants to be here. Okay. And you all, you all know who he is. I mean, he was up here last weekend or two weeks ago. I, I don't know. We see him so often now it, it, and they're coming back up in three weeks because he just wants to be here. And we've been praying for him and Allie who we dearly love. And we know that they're supposed to be a part of this. Well, he's on his way back from this trip last time, and, and he talks to Allie, and, and he calls us up and says, hey, we're going to come in three weeks. We have a few days off. We're going to come in three weeks. Awesome. We get to see you in three weeks. As soon as we as I come back from Nigeria, they're going to be able to be here. And so we were so excited about that. A couple days later, which was a couple days ago, he then texts us and says, guess what? 
we're actually talking about moving there. And I'm like, okay, Lord, you're moving. You're moving something that we thought was a mountain that couldn't be moved. So we continued praying. He said, just pray about it. We continued praying. Now, God works in the suddenlies. Understand this. Because literally, I don't know, an hour, maybe two hours later, he texts us back and he said, we are coming and we're definitely moving. You know, before that, it was stipulated upon upon Allie being able to get a job here. She's just graduating as a teacher, and, and the Lord has closed all the doors down there. And that's what prompted the openness to look up here. So then, well, okay, if I could find a job up there, because Michael can work anywhere, what he does. But if I could find a job up there, okay, I'm, I'm willing to go and look. And then just a few hours later, it went from that to we're coming up no matter what. We're coming up in three weeks, and we need to really try and find an apartment. We need to find a place and, and begin, begin looking for jobs. And she's already submitted her application online for, for I think, at least Appaquinimic School District and some of these things. So, so do you see how God works? Okay, I, this wasn't over two years. This wasn't over two weeks. This was over two hours. God works in the suddenlies, and that's what he's been saying to us. Why don't we believe him? Why don't we believe him when he just sits there time and time again? He has, when he's spoken through an is or spoken through somebody else, Jesus has said this, believe me. In his word, what did he tell his disciples day in and day out? Believe me. Just believe me. I know it's ridiculous. Believe me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be crucified, and I'm going to rise again. Believe me. Oh, we believe you, Lord. But then they scatter. See, it's not enough to say, I believe you, and not follow through with that belief. You can't tell the Lord, I trust you, and then not trust him. Does that make sense? Because what that does is that takes you, like if it were me in my dream, Lord, I trust you, but I, I, I can't trust you. Then it takes me, puts me back in one of those rooms, those dated rooms that I've already conquered, that I've already moved through. Why would I want to go back to one of those rooms? I mean, maybe the pool. The pool was really cool. But it was nothing like the river. And when I got to the mountain, it was nothing. Like the, the mountain was just awesome. It was the pinnacle. Why would I want to go back? When the only thing he requires of me is to believe and a step. Do we really believe what he says? He said, I give you the shoes of peace. Why? Not so you can know everything. I'll let you know a few things. I'll let you know perhaps what, what some of the highlights are that's coming. But I can't let you know everything. Why? First of all, your mind can't handle it. You're, you're going to try and put it in this box that you can understand and you just can't understand it. That's what he told me in that first dream. This feeling, I didn't even know what to do with it. 
And perhaps that's what it feels like to be slain in the spirit. I, I don't know. I didn't feel slain. I didn't feel dead. I felt more alive than I've ever felt in my life. But that's what he wants, is he wants us to step and believe and step in our belief. Don't just say you believe. Don't just say that you trust. Because what he looks at is the heart. He looks at the actions. And, and when he looks at the heart and the heart says, yes, I believe, I want to believe, I love you, I, I just trust you, I, I want to trust. And then he sees the actions that are faltering a little bit. Then what he does is he keeps us in that room because we're not ready to walk out yet. See, he's never going to move you to a place that you can't handle. He's never going to give you anything that you cannot deal with without him. So he's not going to move you on if your actions don't match your words and your words don't match your heart. So if you tell him you believe him, then believe him and step. That's what the shoes of peace are all for. That peace. And, and, and by the way, you don't always, doesn't mean you always feel good about stepping. It was freaky going up that mountain. I mean, it was cool. But it was a little intimidating getting to the top. How many, how many in here like roller coasters? I, I'm one of those that likes them and hates them all at the same time. It's like, it's like if I know I'm secure, flip me all over the, over the place. I don't care if I throw up, it'll land on somebody else. <laughs> right? But what happens when you start going up this, this ride, and it's ridiculously tall, and especially back when I was growing up, it was the old rickety ones where you had this, this kind of rail going up on the side that was, you know, 1,800-year-old wood, and you're, you know, you're... You're getting up top and you're starting to go over the top and, and I would always like to ride in the back car. I tried the front car and it, it just was boring. You got to see everything, but it wasn't like this. You know, but that back car, you just like get whipped over. But you get, a, you get up top and then all of a sudden I'm thinking, is my safety belt going to work? Is this thing, I'm, I'm yanking on this thing, making sure it won't pop open. And I could just imagine if it actually popped open one time. What in the world would I do? Ah! I'd just hold on for dear life, right? But, but you get up there and you just begin to double check everything that you were sure of before. Why? Jesus is no different. You know what's different? The risk. The risk. Because if you fall from five feet off the ground, it's not going to hurt. If you fall from 20 feet off the ground, it might hurt, but you're probably not going to die. If you fall from 100 feet off the ground, it's going to hurt and you're going to die. <laughs> you know, so the risk is greater. Why do we see it any differently when God wants, us to, ta wants to take us on this plan that, that is something that's not been done before, perhaps, in our case, or, or something that you've never done in your life, there's risk to that the more you step. 
So, so what happens is, is we start checking our safety harnesses. Well, wait, wait a second. You know, it, it, this is getting too real now. Lord, you, you said you wouldn't give me anything that I couldn't handle. This is getting too real. Lord, I can't handle this. Start checking everything. It's still there. It's still secure. You're still secure in Christ. You may think you're a whack job, but he doesn't. <laughs> Others may think you're a whack job. Like, like most people think of this church. I was talking to Casey this morning, and it's so funny how many people out there think we're a cult. Let me look directly into the camera. <laughs> yes, we are a cult. What is, what is, no, listen to this though. What is the definition of a cult? Sorry. No, we gotta get through this now. <laughs> we gotta get through this. Don't back. Definition of a cult is, is a group of people that follow what believes to be the Messiah that is alive on this earth. Right? Okay, we believe in a risen Savior who is alive and who is with us right here. If you want to call that a cult, call us a cult. I don't care. You are not following me. See, that's the definition of what they say a cult is. No, I, I mean, believe me, I can account to the fact you're not following me. <laughs> right. But understand who we follow is alive and he is with us and he knows every step that we take. He knows every step that you take. He knows that when you say, I believe you, he knows that it's tough to take a step. Why? Because he had to do it. That's what we're going to get getting kind of ahead of myself because I didn't, he didn't give me this till late last night. But he was a man. And it wasn't that he was a man. He is a man. He is human. He is 100% human, and he is 100% God. He did not raise from the dead and all of a sudden not understand what we go through. The reason why he came and lived 33 years on this earth was to experience the very things that we experience as human beings and then he dealt with them properly. Why? So he could pave that road. So he could pave that way. So he could build those tracks that we could follow. So why don't we trust the builder of roads? The one who takes us on the very paths that he wants us to go down and just trust him. Our belief has to equal our words, has to equal our actions. And you will see amazing things happen. I want you to turn to Philippians. There was a cost. We're talking this morning about the name of Jesus. Right? Jesus did not become Jesus until he was born as a man. That's when the word or the name Jesus was identified with him. Christ is a title. Okay? The Christ was something that was coming, was messianic. Okay? The Messiah, the Christ, that was a title. 
When he was born as the Messiah, he was given the name of Jesus. Okay? And then when he lived this life and gave up his life, then the Father lifted that name, Jesus. The name of Jesus Christ. Jesus the Messiah. He lifted that name above all human names. Okay? The Father did that, and we're going to go through that. So there was a cost to that happening. There was a cost to Jesus having the name above all names. Because he didn't just do it as God. Right? When he came to earth, he did not act as God when he was on this earth. Even though it was, a, it was his choice. It was, it was his choice not to act as God on this earth. Because if he acted as God, he couldn't say that he, he literally understood everything we, we deal with. Because if we had the ability to, anytime we hit something hard, just say, well, I'm God, stop. It kind of changes things, doesn't it? So he, that's why he gave it up. There was a cost to the name of Jesus. So why do we think there's no cost to us? When Jesus became a man, it meant giving up the use, understand, the use of all his powers. He did not stop being God. Okay? If he did, he never would have received the worship. And he, he never would have demanded the worship. Jesus, when he was born as a man, did not stop being God. But he did stop the use of his powers being God. What he could choose to do. He, he by choice then learned obedience, the Bible says. He learned how the Father would work in him. And many of these choices, I believe, he made before he ever became a man. Because, see, he wasn't born a 30-year-old man. He was born a baby. He was born a baby that had to learn to talk. He had, the Bible says, to learn obedience. He had to learn the ways of being a kid. And, and when mom says, go take out the trash, you've got to go take out the trash. Right? He learned these things. But that's not all he learned. He didn't just learn how to become a man. He learned how to listen to his father, the heavenly father. By the time he was 12, which I, I get such a kick out of this, you know, the, the Joseph and Mary, they go to Jerusalem, right? They're, they're from Nazareth, but they go to Jerusalem to do the, the annual sacrifice and, and to have the counting or whatever it is. They go there, they do their thing, and they leave, only to realize they forgot Jesus. <laughs> Where's Jesus? I, now, I don't know if they had like a, a, a huge group. Okay, I can understand. You've got 50 people. Maybe you lost a little 12-year-old boy. I, I don't know. I don't get it. I, I can't wait to ask him that when I'm up there because that's such a thing that we do now, right? So, so they're frantic. Where, where is he? Uh, maybe we left him back in Jerusalem. Let's go back. Let's go find him. They go and they find him in the temple at 12 years old, teaching, speaking, sharing. And they're like, Frantic, what in the world are you doing? You didn't tell us you were going to do this. But we, we were frantic. And he said, Mom, it's okay. I must go about my father's business. Now, we know very little about his childhood, but we know by the age of 12, at least, he understood 
his relationship to the Father. He had to learn that. That was his choice by inserting himself into his own creation. He inserted himself into creation to literally learn like we have to learn. Now, please understand, that's not, that's not meaning that he was limited as God. But he chose to limit himself. Philippians chapter 2. Let's read, start at verse 5. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, Okay, the likeness of God. He was in the image of God. He was in the very formation of what God was. In other words, he was God. Who thought he was in, or though he was in the form of God, being God, did not count equality with God to think, to be a thing that was grasped. In other words, he did not need to attain what God was because he was God. Do you understand what I'm saying? See, Satan, when Satan said, I want to be like God, that was something he had to attain. He did not already have that position. And you see how that one worked out. Okay, Jesus, or, or at this time before he even was inserted into creation as a man, the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, he was God. He was equal with the Father. It says it right here. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God to be a thing that needed to be grasped. Let's move on. Verse 7. But he emptied himself. He literally took and by choice made his powers, his authority to be emptied of himself. He did this by choice. And by taking on the form of a servant... Or position of a servant is a better word of form there. He went from this position of God to a position of a servant being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form or being in a human position, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, Okay, so this was the cost that he had to pay for humanity. To understand what humans go through and to literally purchase our redemption. But then what happened? Verse 9. Therefore, God, has, God the Father has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the God, the Father. This is extraordinary. I want you to get this. Because why did the Father exalt him or need to exalt him if he was already acting as God? Do you get that? If he never ceased the powers of that position, he would not have had to have been elevated from the point at where he was as a, as a raised from the dead man. 
See, Lazarus was raised from the dead. His name is not above all names. It was never appointed to him. God never lifted him up. But God lifted the name of Jesus Christ. If he had not given up his powers, if he had not, in obedience, walked through the life that he needed to walk through, then that would have never, he would have never needed to raise his name up above, above all names, right? So it's important to understand that. So as you see, when Jesus Christ was lifted up and given the name above all names, he was given all authority. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. So he was given all the authority. Wait a second, he was God. He, he had all the authority. No, that's the point. He gave it up by choice for you and for me. We have to understand that he is a man, and when he was on earth, he was a human just like we are. Except, the Bible says, given to no sin. He did not fall into sin. Didn't mean he wasn't tempted. We all know he was tempted. The Bible says he was tempted in every way that we are tempted. In fact, we know of when he went to the, to the wilderness, we know that he was tempted there in various ways. And how was he tempted? He was tempted to use his power. Because see, Satan knew if he could get him to use his power as God that he had the rights to, it would negate everything about his life. And he said, don't, don't tempt the Lord thy God. See, Jesus knew who he was. Jesus knew he was God. Well, wait a second. How, it, did, does that mean he remembered everything before? No, he had to learn it. He had to live by faith like you and I do. Now, when you walk with Jesus Christ and, and you build a relationship with the Father through him, what happens? You learn who he is. You learn this communication. You speak. You get spoken back to. You have this community with him. See, I know this. I've been through it. I understand what it means like to grow in relationship. I understand what it means like to have a conversation with God. That's what I was doing during worship. Where I'll speak to him, he speaks back to me. We can get to a place where we have relationship like that. See, that's what Jesus had to do. He had to, by faith, be taught by his mother and father, and by faith, understand who his father was by 12 years old he understood who his father was and that he was the chosen messiah see it was by faith that he had to do that if it wasn't by faith if it was just that he knew everything beforehand then why on in the garden of gethsemane as we talked last week why did he say if there be any other way if there be any other way, please do it. Take this cup from me. See, if he remembered who he was before being born as Jesus, he would have known the answer to that, wouldn't have even bothered asking. But he had to learn by faith who he was. He had to learn by faith what his calling was. Why? Why did God have to do that? Why did the Son of God have to learn why couldn't he just know who he was, insert himself into creation, go through everything, and then we're, we're redeemed? Why? Because then it wouldn't be the same as what we go through. 
he would not have paved any path. But see, Jesus Christ in his life, he paved a path for us that we can follow. The Gospels are chock full, and Paul is chock full, his epistles, chock full of saying, follow Jesus Christ. Don't just believe in him. Follow him. Do what he did. Do what he says. Why? Because he did it. He did it. He literally walked the path that we're walking. There's no path, no temptation, no understanding that Jesus did not go through that we will have to go through. That's why he had to accept this by faith. And that's why when Jesus died on the cross and three days later rose from the grave, the power of the Holy Spirit that, that lives in us and that we have access to, that very same power rose him from the grave and then the Father said, this is my Son, his name is above all names. I lift up his authority above all others. Why? Because he didn't cease being a man. Right? When he rose from the grave and he 40 days later went to sit at the right hand of the Father, he did not stop being a man. He did not stop being human. Being able to then not, not understand what we go through and everything else. Okay, so why? You, you already went through everything. Why can't you go back to being just fully God and not a man? It's because of what's supposed to happen in the future. See, the prophecy in the Old Testament is that one day a king will take David's throne. And this will be the king of kings. But see, David's throne has to be occupied by a human, by a man. And I, I don't want to kind of get off track here, but understand that redemption can only happen from like kind. What do I mean by that? It had to be a human to redeem humanity. It had to be somebody who could perfect the law, live perfectly the law, in order to do away with or complete the law. It couldn't be God coming in and just doing away with the law, which, by the way, it was never done away with. It was completed. What does that mean? It means Jesus fulfilled it. He fulfilled every part of the law. We couldn't. We couldn't at birth. Because generationally, we carry this curse of Adam. We carry this curse of having sin in our flesh before we take our first breath. Right? So we couldn't possibly do that. Because sin is passed down through the Father. Does it make sense why Jesus, Joseph was not Jesus' father? Effectively, the Holy Spirit was Jesus' Father. That sin was not passed down to him. But he had to remain a man and remains a man today so he can take the throne for the thousand-year reign. Now, I don't know what happens after that. The Bible doesn't say. I don't know that. I, my belief is he will always be a man because he said that we will be as him. And I'm pretty sure I don't become God. I don't think any of us do. So I believe his state is an eternal state. 
but he paved the way for us to have this name above all names. Jesus paved the way so that we can follow the same path of his life in, in his name and in this life. Turn to John 14. And I don't know what it is, but I keep... Let's see, John 14... I'm shaking again. Uh, we're going to start at verse 12. Oh, I'll just hit it and I'll go to it. All right, John 14, verse 12. I don't know what it is, but I, I just always find myself in John 14 and 15. It, it, like the last year, I just keep going back to the, you should see, it's ridiculous, the highlights, the whole thing's kind of highlighted and all different colors, but there's so much in here. So John 14, verse 12 to 14 says this. Truly, truly, and this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And by the way, greater works than these will he do. Why? Because I am going to my Father. Whatever you ask, and get this, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now go down a little bit to John 15, verse 16. Jesus said to them just a chapter later, he said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide or stay or stick. Two very important words. So and that. Okay? That your, first, that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in my name or whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Do you, see, do you see there's a stipulation there? This isn't a matter of just, well, whatever you ask Jesus, he's going to give to you. He said right here, he said, you did not choose me, I chose you. He said that you should go and bear fruit. Go and bear fruit in your life. We've talked about this before. How do we bear fruit? Do we go and do stuff? Okay, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to become a pastor so I can bear fruit. I'm going to go and hand out tracts so I can bear fruit. There's a prayer walk this afternoon. I'm going to go on the prayer walk and, and I'm going to pray for people to hand out tracts so I can have fruit. If that's your motivation, don't waste your time. Because that's not bearing fruit. That is the fruit. That is the fruit of a relationship. When you build a relationship, then your life produces fruit. As you walk in relationship, and get this, this is so important. As you walk in relationship with Jesus Christ and draw closer to him, and you, you peel back these layers of intimacy and loving him, knowing him, knowing who he is, communicating with him, and your life begins producing this fruit, it is so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. I don't know about you. You want to talk about real power? You want to talk about real power on this earth? How about the Father giving you everything you ask for? 
That's power. That's power. And he's not a dad like a human dad where, oh, those doughy eyes, and okay, here's ten bucks, you know. He's not just going to give you everything because you just love him and say, I love you, but i got to go play now. No, it's when you build relationship with him. And he starts to infuse who he is in you. See, when he does that, you allow him to do that. He could trust you. And he could trust what you're going to do with his power. He could trust what you're going to do when you say something that you need. It used to baffle me. How do some of these guys, like one of my favorite guys in the Bible, I cannot wait to meet him. I cannot, I, I'm, I'm going to spend the first thousand years, he and I are just going to hang out. Uh, not the thousand year reign, but after that. Was Enoch. How did he have this relationship so profound with the Father? This relationship so profound with the Son, with the Holy Spirit? That literally whatever he asks was done. Yeah, it, it it just it just blows me away. What about Elijah? What about Elisha? What about Samuel? What about these prophets? What about Paul? What about Peter after you know Pentecost? <laughs> what what about these these people that that whatever they asked the Lord did? You know, Elisha's like, open his eyes, let him see. God didn't say, well, he's not there yet. I can't really open his eyes because he hasn't learned that yet, blah, 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 blah. No, he just opened his eyes. Why? Because Elisha had the heart of God. Elisha's choices weren't his own. See, God can trust us when our choices become God's choices. Do you understand that? It's, it's, it's like this, this profound thought. How do you get to the place where God will do these amazing things in your life? It's when God becomes your life. Because he could trust himself. He could trust himself. And when we let him take control of everything in us, then he trusts what his choices are. And then we reflect his choices. See, right now in my life, with my walk with him now versus 20 years ago, I can tell you that, that I've seen in my life my choices have been not necessarily my own. But they've become his. I never would have chosen to be a pastor. I loved what I did. As a matter of fact, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of renovating, uh, for, for Yvonne's birthday, I'm renovating her toy room. You know, and I'm having to do everything because, you know, we can't just go and pay and have it all done. I'm loving it. I had my mother over the other day, and, okay, what do you think about a pattern of this color and this checkered and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> it just reminded me of how much I enjoyed the creative process of building. And creating and especially drawing up new homes. I love, used to love to do that. Drawing the plans of a new home and the creative process of that. 
You know, so it's not, a, it, it's not like I chose to do this because it was my first choice. I chose to do it when God changed my heart. He changed my heart. It became my choice because it was his choice. So what's he telling you in your life? Are you at a place where you have an understanding of what he's doing in you? And, and literally your choices are becoming what you know his choices are for you. That's where power really is. Really resides. And that's where we get to the point where we can ask of the Father. You know, and we've seen it happen. Man alive, I, I just love the prayer call. I can't, I cannot say enough what that's done in the last, what are we at, 90 some days now, 92, 93 days. What it's done in the last three months in my life has been extraordinary. And, And understanding the power of when you're in right relationship with the Lord and you ask him something, he does it. Now, okay, doesn't mean he does everything. I've asked him for the Jeep. (laughs) Still don't have that. Okay, and I'm joking with that, of course. But when we ask according to his will, when we ask in Jesus' name and we have relationship with him to where our wants are his wants, where we literally reflect the heart of God, you see answers quickly. On this prayer call, we, we, would see, we would pray about something and see answers almost right away. Sometimes the very next day. You know, we, we, here we're praying. Michael says, keep praying. We're praying, and little, literally two hours later, we have an answer to that prayer. Why? Because we're asking the Father in Jesus' name, and it's something the Father wants to ask through us. We're, we're, we're in unity with the Father's heart. When you get into unity with the Father's heart, you can ask him what you want. You can ask him because what you want is going to be what he wants. Does that make sense? Are you with me on that? To get to this point, I want you to turn back to Philippians 1. Okay, go back to Philippians chapter 1 and verse 19. And understand here, to use his name, to use the name of Jesus Christ, to pray in his name, to ask the Father in his name and expect the Father to answer and to do it, we must be worthy of his name. Okay, get this. We must be worthy of his name. Just because you're saved does not mean you're worthy of his name. Just because you know him as Savior and you are his child does not mean he can work through you. Does that make sense? We, we must be worthy of his name. Let's start at verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. This is Paul speaking to um, the church at Philippi. 
as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. Now, remember, he is their spiritual father okay, of this church. I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Verse 22, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall not, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. In other words, Paul was being torn. Live and God working through me and being fruitful because I love these people so desperately. Or dying and being with my Savior in paradise. You know, he, he, it, was, it was difficult for him to, him to choose. Now, this is also a man who had been with Jesus in paradise. He had been taken up to the third heaven. So it wasn't that he didn't know what he was talking about, right? Verse 23, I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I wonder who convinced him. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Jesus Christ because of my coming to you again. Okay, and get this next verse. Because he's talking to people that are building this relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul had a relationship with Jesus Christ that he was saying, just, just do what I do. Just do what I do. Do what Jesus did. That's what gives you the relationship. And he says in verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy. Be worthy of the gospel of Christ. In other words, walk in a manner worthy of how Jesus would have walked. Now that isn't to be without sin. You have a different father than he did. I have a different father than he did. And we have these generational things all the way back to Adam. Right? So, so what he's saying is, is, let your manner of life, your walk, your relationship be worthy of what Jesus Christ died for. How can it become worthy? It can only become worthy when we make it of him. When we let him reign in our lives. When, when the Father shines through in my life, it's not me. It's the Father working through me. When I let him do that, it brings a worthiness. Not because I am worthy, but because the Father is worthy. And here's those two words again. So and that. I want you to highlight those. Circle them in your Bible. So let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or an absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit. By the way, notice there, the S is not capitalized. This isn't that each of you individually are standing in the Holy Spirit. That you are unified together in your spirit. That you are unified together as a group. You're not fighting amongst each other. 
You're not separating from each other, but you are unified in purpose. He said, be worthy of the gospel of Christ and live in unity, letting the Father work in your life. Verse 28, not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Verse 29, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Ouch. Do you know you were called to suffer? That is a tough pill to swallow. Wait a second. Jesus is good. God's good. Anything bad happens, that's the other guy. Do you know consequences are results of sin? Consequences, and not, not even your direct sin. Do you know if, if I was in sin, Alexis would be affected by it? Because she's in conjunction and, and near me. Because we have relationships, she's affected by that. Why do we think that it doesn't work that way in the world? Of course it does. If, if a friend of mine goes off the deep end and backslides or, or even, even takes their own life, that affects me. That would affect any of us. Sin and the consequences of sin affect all of us. So we have to suffer for his sake. Anybody that tells you that the Christian life is just this golden walkway to paradise and it's all good and you're going to all drive, you know, awesome cars and live in awesome homes and it's only because you're, you're worthy and you get that good night. Let me read that Bible because that's not in this one. Jesus never said that. Doesn't mean he won't provide those things. That's not my point. If it's, his, if it's his will for your life and what he wants to do in your life, he'll provide them and provide them tons. But it just said, we just read it, he, we will suffer with him. Why? Because there's a cost to using his name. There was a cost to him being raised above all names. Why don't we think there's not a cost for us to use his name? You know, we, we're taught from little kids, pray in the name of Jesus. You know, in Jesus' name I pray. You're using the name of Jesus Christ. You're using a name that was paid such a high price for. See, our price is so much simpler. Our price is to be with him in relationship. That's our price. To give up our will to trust his will. Ooh, and that's the rub. That's the difficult rub. Because, see, we, all throughout our lives, we're raised, especially in America, we're raised with, well, I want this, I want that, this is, this is what it means to be successful. I, I know, I was in business and all that, and, you know, all these things that are the picture of being successful. And we're raised that way. So it's hard to understand that the very choice that God wants us to make is so simple. Your will, not mine. 
When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, it was simple. It's, it's a couple of verses. It's not five books. Well, here's how you pray in this situation. Here's how you pray in this. And, and oh, by the way, and if this happens, you've got to pray like this. And it wasn't like that at all. It was, I want your will to be done in my life. In other words, I trust you in my relationship with you. I trust you to the point I know you're smarter than me. I know you see the end from the beginning. I trust you and I want your will to be done in my life. I give up my will. I declare it. I say it in the heavens. I give up my will. I declare it this morning. I give up my will for Ignition Church. Because I want his book for Ignition Church. I want what his plans were for my life. When you get to that point, your life is going to change. If you've gotten to that point, you know what I'm talking about. Your life has or is changing. Because when he works his will, all of a sudden you're... Uh, Lord, I don't know why I'm going through this. I had a, oh, that was awesome. I get it now. I get why you had to take me through that. Because you built a faith in me that wasn't there before. That's the difference going back to the very beginning, and I'll close with this. That's the difference between saying that you believe him and acting upon that belief. Get that, if nothing else. Your actions have to match your words. Even if it's from the heart, Lord, I believe you, I believe you, I believe you, I want you, I want you, I want you. And if you don't step in that belief, the words don't mean anything. Because remember, with David, God looked at his heart. God didn't listen to his words. God looked at his heart. Now, Many times, his heart matched his words. His actions matched his words. When he ran out against Goliath, there was no fear. Where in the world did that come from? I mean, Goliath was just about twice as tall as him and probably four times bigger. How was there no fear? It's because he knew who he was in Christ. It's it's, it's the same reason we don't have to fear Satan today. Why are we so afraid of Satan? It isn't that he can't do stuff. Please understand, I understand the power that he has. I understand the manipulation that he has. But see, my relationship with Jesus Christ gives me authority over that. Not authority in my own right, but authority in Jesus' name. And because my step is equal to my voice, it gives authority so I don't have to be afraid. So in your own life, don't be afraid of what the enemy tries to do to you. Don't try and even analyze it. Don't, try and, don't give him that kind of authority. Why? Because you're already so much greater in God's eyes than you think you are. You're already so much greater positionally that you don't have to be afraid of that. 
And if you're called to be warriors, which, by the way, I've said this once or twice, you are. (laughs) Right? Ignition is called to be warriors. Then that's something you need to understand. The power of preparation, the power of putting on our armor, the power of what God is doing in our life comes from relationship. It comes from that place of saying, your will, not mine. What you want, not me. I don't want to live in Delaware. Been here for like 24 years. Okay, I I came from literally where God lives. He lives in Colorado. That's where he lives. I I could even probably show you, you know, about a 10-mile square patch of where I'm pretty positive he lives. Right right up in the mountains. I go skiing there, or used to. Okay, and and what's he do? I'm going to send you to this place where there isn't a mountain in sight. As a matter of fact, there there isn't a hill in sight. You know, we just trust him. I have more joy here than I ever would there. Thank you, Lord, that I get to visit, though. See, when you're in his will, none of the external things even matter. said, not my will, Lord, but yours. Not my will of being in Colorado. Your will. Because that's where I can be the best use. Because I have a short time in this earth. And it's more important that I am your hands and your feet than for me to do what I want to do. And in making that choice, over time, he shows you the wisdom of that choice. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Because what he has taught us here, what he has prepared us for here, this journey that he's taken us on here in Flatland, I couldn't have learned anywhere else because this is what his will was. This is where he had us, and we just said yes. Just say yes to him this morning. Let your words be followed up with the action of your feet and the action of your faith. You know, we're coming up to this Nigeria trip. This is not about seven people going to Nigeria. This is about a church engaged in a mission that God has called them to in Nigeria. We need the prayer. Do you know, if, if, if you think that's secondary to going, then you haven't understood prayer a bit. Because what we've seen the power of God do in the last 90 days shows me that the power is in who's staying right here and praying. Because that's God's will. Wendy has a prayer sheet that's going to literally have prayers going up 24 hours a day while we're gone until, until all of us are back. Why isn't that filled up? Why isn't your name, or it's not filled up, right? Okay. Just to make sure. I was saying that prophetically. <laughs> Why isn't your name on it? Is it because you really don't believe that you have a part? Or is it that you don't believe prayer really does what God says that it does? Maybe you don't have the time. I, I don't mean to be in your face and harsh. 
But that's your will versus my will. You purchase time by doing his will. That's a crazy thought. But when we act in his will, he moves all the things in our life to be where they need to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we worship you.